Good morning. All right. This is the first time I've ever shared this, so hold on. Um, so my story starts off like any other story um, of a Christian boy that grew up in a Christian home. I was a good Christian boy. I, I grew up, I went to church. I grew up in the era of church where you went twice on Sundays. You went in the morning and you went on no, at the night time. And the difference between the pastor in the morning and the night was the pastor wore a suit in the morning and at night time he wore a leather jacket, the same sort of suit pants and everything like that. We had home group often and we had people over and my mum would always be in the kitchen helping and hospitality. Um, she was once told that if you want to preach, you have to clean the toilets first. And her thing was, I don't need to clean the toilets, I'll just tap out in the kitchen because I don't want to preach. But my dad was always in the sound booth and, and he would share communion messages and, and stuff like that. I was a wrestling fanatic. My brother and I would wrestle constantly and most often we would get it banned. And we used to wrestle my sister who's, who was a lot younger and choke slam her and everything like that. And it was a, you know, wholesome Australian family. <laughs> I grew up in Perth with lots of cousins and friends and I grew up with no knowledge of the outside world. I was very sheltered because in a Christian family, that's just how it is. There's, there's no knowledge of anything else. I was young, brave and free and I didn't have any other reason to not be that until one day something happened. You see, I had something happen to me when I was younger that no young person should ever go through. I had something so incredibly disgusting, awful and incomprehensible that I, the good Christian boy, had a hard time swallowing the fact that people like this could actually still get into heaven. But boy, oh boy, did God send me down a rabbit hole with that one. You see, my life hasn't been smooth sailing. The whole anthem of, when you have God, your life can't be bad. It was played over to me over and over and over again as a, as a Christian. But you see, even when you've got God in your life, life can still suck at times. Life can still have times where it's not that great. And I think that's one of the biggest things that as a young Christian guy growing up is I was, had a falsified image of what life with God was like because the reality wasn't there. The difference though is with God, you're not alone. It's just realising that you're not alone. Now let's get to my story. You see, between the ages of six to eight, I was sexually molested and abused by a family friend. I was shamed. I was made into what can only be described as an object for somebody else's pleasure. But you know what? I didn't comprehend that day that my life and for the next several years would be affected to the point of pure agony beyond belief. I became immune to emotion. No longer was I this innocent, sweet Christian boy. I was no longer a boy at all. That day, my innocence and boyhood was lost forever. I continued life not actually realizing severity of what had actually happened to me. I mean, I was six years old and when it finished, I was eight. What did I know? Sex ed was still five years away. And as an eight-year-old boy growing up in a Christian home, I was still 10 years away from getting married. Um, because, you know, when you're eight and you're 18, that's when you get married in Christian things. That's what you're told. I went to a Christian school, met some of my greatest and dearest friends there many of which I had the pleasure of being in their bridal party and watching them get married. I went to church and everything else, but I hadn't clued on to what my life was actually like. In 2002, my dad began to study at university, so this meant we needed to move schools. I went from the safe place of a Christian school to a government school. On the very first day, I was asked to be in a gang, and I ran home crying my eyes out and begging my parents to take me and let me go back to my old school. On the other hand, my brother had a great day, first day at school, so he thought it was great. I continued on at school and started attending the youth group that my cousin went to. I attended the church as well, and it was great. I felt like I belonged. Slowly, my profile began to rise. 
the moniker of a guy who had a call in his life, it began to be prayed over me and prophesied over me over and over and over again. I became the youngest youth leader, the youngest home group leader. I just kept rising up the ranks. I was becoming well-known. I was known as Mr. Reliable. Then girls started to notice me. 2007, I started dating a girl. She was the love of my life. I was going to marry her and we'd have lots of babies. And that was just the first hour of our relationship. <laughs> then two months later, she broke up for me, for somebody else. So as all mature Christian guys do, I left the church. And here became my new moniker, the guy that would come in, make an impact, do something good, and then leave. To be fair, though, I thought I kept hearing from God that it was my time to leave. But I was listening to the wrong voice inside me. This cycle continued through a few churches, and in this time, my parents separated, which meant that I had to stand up and be a gap and the man in my family. Then one day, I did meet another girl. This one was different. She was sporty, she was smart, she was funny, and well, just fun to be around. And she was a Christian. One small issue. She was with somebody else. And being the charming, charismatic, witty guy that I am, she decided to leave him for me. But what I'd realized is that I had become full circle. I had become that other guy. But here's the thing. This thing lasted for a while. We got engaged, we planned our wedding, our future, and we got a house together. Then one month before the wedding, she broke it off. But once again, this wasn't my fault. This was everybody else's fault. Everything that had happened in my life had been everybody else's fault but mine. And once again, became the new moniker. It's not me, it's them. This was in October, and I dove straight into youth ministry around November. And a couple of months later, around January, our youth pastor at the church actually decided that it was his time to step down. And the pastor asked me to co-lead uh, the youth ministry. The guy that I was going to co-lead was, was actually a guy that I'm really good friends with today called John Luke. We were chalk and cheese, or cookies and cream, as we were affectionately known as. We were, we were exact opposites. But it worked out. He was organized, logical, and methodical, Plus, he would require at least 10 hours sleep a night. I was erratic, risky, ad hoc, and could function on two hours sleep. He would do the follow-up on Mondays, or what we described it as, as clean-up, because he would apologize for all the indiscretions and issues I'd caused on Fridays in the, in the pastoral care meetings on Mondays. I took up the whole thing of it's better to ask for forgiveness rather than the permission, and he did the apologizing for me and the permission usually. But we did some great things in that time as a, in youth ministry. We saw some great young people come to know Christ who are still leaders in that church today. But you know what? I was empty. I didn't have anything. I was hurting, I was lonely, and I was miserable. Who you saw at church was completely different to the guy that got in his car and drove home. The guy that got in his room after youth group and on, as the buzz started to come down and he sat watching movies until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning just trying to sleep because he couldn't quite get over what was going on. I fooled everybody, my friends, my family. I'd gotten to a place that was so deep, so unavoidable and so dark, I called it the pit. I was sat there and I couldn't get out. I'd created a place where I could not be, where I could be whoever I needed to be to everyone else except for who I needed to be for me. Toward the end of September that year, JL got married and that's, that's kind of when it went downhill. I was given the full reins of the youth ministry and I was in one person in church and a completely different person out of it. I was leading a double life and I did something stupid because my moral compass wasn't there. I had gotten so overwhelmed with this and almost 
in a subconscious way gotten arrogance that I could get away with anything. And so I almost tested that without even realizing I was testing it. But I was found out. I was stood down and I went into obscurity, fading away for two days. <laughs> God spoke to me loud and clear one day as I walked down West Coast Highway. He told me what I needed to do and who I needed to be. I began walking along West Coast Highway with headphones in and talking with God. Sometimes he would talk, sometimes he wouldn't. But I got back to where I needed to be for me. I'd come full circles. 20 years after losing my innocence as a child, I'd got back to humble myself as a six-year-old, forgiving everyone, repenting and turning to God. Hasn't been smooth sailing since then, but a few things have changed. My parents are back together. I actually did marry the love of my life and answer to prayer and... While I'm, a stu- while I'm a huge wrestling fan, show is she. <laughs> Today I stand before you as a testament of God's grace. But let me tell you something. I'll tell you what God told me that day. Josh, when you were in that pit, you weren't alone. When your parents separated, you weren't alone. When you were broken up with, you weren't alone. And when you were a child, your innocence taken away, you weren't alone. I was there. I was in those situations. I was in the pit with you, holding you close, crying with you, holding you close and whispering that it's all going to be okay. And I'm even doing that today. Do you know why he was whispering? Because he was close. God doesn't need a shout when he's close. And often that still small voice is the whispering of God because he is close. You may be in the pit, but God is in there with you. He's holding you when you cry. When you feel like you can't go on, he's whispering, it's going to be okay. I'm a testament that God's whispers are real. Glory be to God. Amen.